All right, good morning, Mercy Hill. Uh, it's Saturday night here at the Weber household, but I know uh, most of you guys will be um, tuning into this in the morning. So I hope your, your day is going well. Obviously, this is a different uh, experience for us. Um, not exactly what we had in mind, but um, we trust God has good for us in it. So I'm glad that uh, we are able to at least connect even over kind of the virtual medium. Um, my name's Nick. If you are tuning in, uh, even just from the web outside of Mercy Hill, uh, this is your first time checking in with us. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and I'm going to be getting us into God's Word in a moment, but what I wanted to do real quick was actually give us a um, quick sense of what we're doing here, how this is going to work, um, so that hopefully you can follow along and have a great experience with your family, uh, friends, any other Mercy Hill members, whatever, that may be at your house watching this with you. Um, so, one of the things you need to know is that online, um, if you if you're, uh, go to our webpage, which I assume you're, you're kind of downloading this from that, uh, on the, the sermon page that you found this link, you'll also find um, a, a worship guide. There's a link for where we usually put like our, our sermon handouts, uh, and we'll want you to get onto that and, and download that, because really that's going to help guide you through this process. So uh, on there, you're going you're gonna to kind of see that Actually, what we're going to do this morning is a little bit different. Rather than have me just kind of go on and on uh, like a normal sermon, we're going to kind of break it up a little bit uh, with, a, with a sermon slash study slash discussion uh, pieces here or there. So it's going to be punctuated with opportunities for you to uh, reflect whether you are with uh, maybe some of your home group or other members. Uh, you guys can pause uh, and I'll kind of cue you on this. You can pause and ask some of the questions that you'll find uh, in that guide, and, and if you're actually going through this alone, I'd still encourage you, um, make use of the experience. Pause the video uh, when I cue you, and, and, and look at the questions that, that are, I'll direct you to, and, and reflect on that, journal on that, pray on those things, um, because I, I want us to be able to engage God together even when we are um, distant like this. So. Let me see if I had, oh, one other thing that you'll need to know is um, as you look at that worship guide, uh, you'll see that at the bottom, really, just like if you were a part of our Sunday services, uh, there are, there, there is a, a thing that we do called the call to response. And this is something I am always passionate about. It's that, that sense that we don't just want God's word to kind of come in one ear and out the other. We want it to, to percolate down into our hearts and, and really influence, affect our lives. And some of the things I always say, you'll see actually uh, on the guide as well, where um, we're actually, because we can't sing along with you, uh, we're going to uh, direct you to a few songs that we'd recommend uh, you check out, maybe play as the uh, background music to your week, uh, and sing along, worship the Lord that way. Uh, we also will, um, on that guide, you'll find a few different ways that you can uh, reach out to us for prayer, whether that's through our, our Mercy Hill Community Facebook group, or um, we also would be happy to, if it's maybe of a more personal uh, prayer request, to, to receive any of those requests um, at our, our email, info at mercyhillchurch.org. Uh, and then finally, you'll also see links so that uh, if you do feel led to, to give in any way, or maybe you've been supporting, but you do that usually on checks, uh, with checks on Sunday morning, uh, you'll, you'll see a link to our, our Give tab online, uh, where that can explain uh, how you can continue to support us financially in this time and, and keep the mission of Mercy Hill going strong. 
So uh, I think with that, I'd uh, have you even right now uh, pause the uh, video here and go click that link, download the worship guide. Uh, you might want to print it out or pull it up on your phone or tablet, something else, so that you can look at it while uh, we get into God's Word together. All right, now as we are uh, making our way towards the, the sermon slash study for this morning, um, you should know that for however long uh, this goes on, uh, where we have to meet remotely like this, uh, my plan, uh, unless it uh, goes on for, for months, which I, I pray it doesn't, uh, my plan is to actually step out of the sermon series we've been doing for years now uh, through the Gospel of Luke, uh, and actually do something a little bit different with you. Uh, there are two reasons really for that uh, that I wanted you to know about. One is just simply I am attached to the Gospel of Luke and I wanted to keep that going the way that we normally uh, have been proceeding on Sunday mornings. I want everyone with us tracking on the same page and so I thought uh, I'd rather hit pause on that series and do something different. But then the second reason actually is uh, because given the situation uh, given the circumstances and the stuff that we have going on in our city, in our nation, in our world, it seemed to me um, it, it kind of begged for uh, perhaps dealing with the subject that, that was more immediately relevant uh, and trying to speak uh, into perhaps even the context uh, of this coronavirus, COVID-19 thing that is um, really displacing uh, a lot of folks, and, 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 and it's the reason why we're meeting like this in the first place. So I thought, you know, it'd be a miss if I didn't try to maybe adjust and, and, and get us in God's Word, and look through some lenses that can help us even perhaps make sense of some of the things that are happening in our uh, city and world today. Um, so all that to say, for however many weeks we've got here, which I think Tolu probably said um, we're looking at least... Uh, to the end of March, maybe the, um, the, the first week of April even as well. Hopefully we can reconvene on Easter. That would just seem right uh, to be able to uh, gather again as one body on Easter Sunday, but we'll, we'll see. For however many weeks, my plan um, is that we're going to kind of look at what the scriptures have to say and how God can help us with this idea of, of fear or, or, or being afraid. I, I want to see... Uh, what God has to say about our fears, uh, how the scriptures, how Jesus, the gospel can reorient us in um, this frightening time. Now, I, I'm sure you've noticed by now that uh, with the COVID-19 virus and the spread of it so uh, expansive now that it's been um, deemed a, a, a pandemic, I'm sure it's not lost on you that there are a lot of people who are scared. Uh, that there are a lot of people in panic. There are a lot of people who are uh, uh, not sure what's going on, what's going to happen. Anxiety has risen. Uh, no, I know that you've seen it in the news. I know you've seen it in your neighborhoods. Um, I'll just give you a few examples that come to mind that just evidence this very point. Um, 
Although I'm sure you, you may not, you may not need. You're probably feeling the anxiety even in your chest as you watch the news and things. But regardless, here are some things that I've been noticing. Uh, for one thing, uh, when one of the ways we can tell that, that anxiety levels have risen and people are feeling fearful is actually the fact that uh, kind of the crooks and, and the cockroaches of society, if you will, kind of come out and try to capitalize on our fears and capitalize on this place where we are often kind of in this vulnerable state and we're scrambling for security and looking for uh, some way of feeling safe. What you often have and what we're seeing is guys are coming out trying to sell you goods, trying to trick you into things and, and take advantage of the fear that is rising in the hearts of the American people and the hearts of people all around the world. So I read one article uh, it was entitled this, and it just kind of tells you the story, even just right in the title. Coronavirus, how hackers are preying on fears of COVID-19. So there's all these stories that because everyone is scared, hackers are capitalizing on that, and, and they're sending emails. Like one example, emails are coming out uh, into people's inboxes that are uh, supposedly from uh, this kind of mysterious doctor who's trying to, he's being a whistleblower, and, and, and the claim is that, oh, uh, China and, and the UK, they have the vaccine, but their governments are covering it up, and all you have to do is click this link and uh, the vaccine will be yours. And because we're so scared, because we're so worried, there are people falling for this. And then what you find is now you've got two viruses. You've got one running rampant in the city around you, and then you have one now on your computer as well, which who knows what they're gonna get with that. Or perhaps some of you, to give you another example, saw and this is embarrassing for us who bear the name of Christ and, and take that with, with seriousness and weight. Uh, uh, some of you probably heard about Jim Baker and how he claimed to have some sort of cure for the coronavirus and was, you know, offering it up for a price uh, on his little TV show or whatever it is. Um, and people were buying it. People were buying into it because they're scared, because they're scrambling, because they're in this state of mind, afraid and looking for security. Or there's the hand sanitizer piece, which is so crazy. The hand sanitizer, people are buying it out of all the stores so that it, we're literally in a, in a shortage uh, right now of hand sanitizer. And so what guys are doing to take advantage, they're trying to find whatever's left. They're buying it, like there's the story of a guy who found a, a bottle at, at Rite Aid, at Purell, for $7.99, turns around, sells it on eBay for like $140 that afternoon. And people are buying it because they're scared, because, gosh, we've got to kill the germs. We've got to do whatever we can. Surely, I don't think I have to tell you that, uh, and one other piece of evidence for this is just simply walking the aisles of Costco. I, I have tried unsuccessfully now for three uh, straight weeks to get uh, a, some rolls of toilet paper from Costco. And I have not, uh, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. I, I saw another article, it was interesting, because while the, the markets, uh, while the, the stocks and the, and the markets of the world are kind of going down uh, as a result of the coronavirus, um, uh, one stock is doing really well and is actually skyrocketing and it's actually Costco and, and the title of this article says this, Costco cleans up on coronavirus anxiety. 
So we're all just scrambling to, to feel safe in one way or another, to stock up on things, even if it doesn't fully make sense. We just need to feel secure because panic has risen, because we're afraid. And I don't know how you're personally doing with this, but I imagine that, that you're feeling uneasy too. Uh, it's not just people out there, it's affecting us. And even if you're not in that target um, age range or you, you're not immunocompromised, you're not at high risk for the virus, my guess is because of COVID-19 and this pandemic that's upon us, there are, uh, as a result, certain things that are causing you fear as well. It might not be, I'm worried about getting sick, but it might be, well, goodness. Now that this virus is running rampant and they're canceling work and no one's buying stuff and all this, uh, my job is in jeopardy. I'm afraid of that. Or maybe uh, you're watching as the, the, your portfolio and, and the market is, you know, uh, coming down and you're going, what about my retirement? What about my investments? What about my savings? This is not looking. I'm afraid of that. Or perhaps you have loved ones who are in that high risk range and are in that high risk demographic and, and you're worried sick about them. Um, so my sense is that regardless uh, of, of where you stand on the issue, chances are fear is rising even in your own heart as well, as it is in mine. And so the question that we have to face here then is what do we do? What do we do with all of this? How should Christians be handling it? What is the right response? Well, I wonder if you are aware of the most repeated command in the Bible. I wonder if I were to ask you right now what you think the, the, the most common, the most frequently repeated command in the Bible is. I wonder what you would say. Well, I'll tell you, it's not love your neighbor. It's not love God. It's not praise God. It's not worship God. It's not make disciples. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's probably not uh, any of the things that you would naturally think of. But here's what it is. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In my searching, I found the scriptures calling us to variations of this sort of command over a hundred times. But by other accounts, um, from other, other guys that I, I, I've uh, heard on the issue, they said there's, depending on the version and the translation and things you read from, there's two to three hundred times where God or others are saying, do not be afraid, uh, fear not, uh, take courage, those sorts of things. That is the most frequent command in all the Bible. Now, when we consider the sheer weight of that statistic, I, I think we can immediately glean at least two very important things from it. First, uh, what we can learn from that is that fear and being afraid and anxiety, it's not a, a COVID-19 coronavirus issue. It's not something that comes and goes when, when trials get really fierce and stuff gets really hard. It's something that's perennial uh, to the human experience and condition. It's something that everyone is dealing with everywhere all the time. 
The reason why God is so often saying, do not be afraid, is because we are so regularly feeling afraid. But secondly, we can also glean from this that, that God is bigger and He is stronger than anything we're currently worried about. Um, when God says uh, not to fear, do not be afraid, He's not simply saying that to get us off His back, to get us talking about what we're worried about because uh, we're bothering Him and He just kind of wants to, to shut us up. That's not it at all. He's not discounting or disregarding us in these moments, nor is he speaking to us as one who is naively optimistic. You've probably heard, uh, maybe some of your friends, I know I've done this before, where you just go, oh, don't worry, don't be afraid, it's going to be okay. And you kind of want to look at them in that moment and go, well, that feels kind of nice, but, but who are you and how do you know? And the reality is, is when we say those things, we don't know. It's this kind of naive optimism, uh, seeing everything through a rosy lens, but it very well might not go that way. But when God says, do not be afraid, he says it with full knowledge of, of what it is that you're afraid of and, and, and full awareness that he is, in fact, bigger than it and able, able to, to, to move it and use it for good. God is God. When he says not to be afraid, uh, he has very good reasons for doing so. Ed Welch in his wonderful book, uh, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the, and the God of Rest, um, writes this, When God says, do not be afraid, these are not the words of a flesh and blood friend, a, a mere human like yourself. They're not the hollow words of a fellow passenger on a sinking ship who has no experience in shipwrecks, can't swim, and has no plan. These words are more like those of the captain who says, don't be afraid, I know what to do. When the right person speaks these words, you might be comforted. Remember, do not be afraid are the words of the one who can match speech with action. He's the sovereign king who really is in control. The efficacy of the words uh, is directly related to the authority, power, and love of the one speaking them. So the words do not be afraid when they are found on the mouth of our Lord are not cheap or superficial counsel. They're not naive optimism and he's just kind of speaking uh, through rose-colored lens. No, they are in fact rock-solid realities because he is God and we are his people. So all I want to do for the next few weeks then, however long we got, is kind of drop into some of these texts and, and, and look at them. Look at this idea of fear. When God calls us not to fear and what He grounds that in and what He says it should be replaced with in our hearts and, and what sort of things should flow out from that. And again, uh, the nice thing is, is however many weeks we have to meet like this, I just told you I have 100, 2, maybe 300 texts I can pull from. So we're going to be okay. And I think each one is going to shed new light and, 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 and help us, uh, help kind of reorient us in uh, these scary times. So my, my hope is that in some ways, even through this virtual medium, we kind of create this sanctuary space where we get together, we know, all right, we're going to come, we're going to discuss, we're going to get in the scriptures and see how God meets us in our fears and, and reorients us in them and sets us on new footing in the gospel and with Christ. You need that. I need that. 
we all, I think, are going to need this sort of thing, especially in these trying times. So with that, um, I'd encourage you now to pause and consider the questions under pause point number one in your worship guide. All right, now we are making our way uh, towards the text for this morning. So if you do have a Bible, uh, unfortunately, no ushers can bring them to you. Uh, but hopefully you have one in your home or you got one on your phone. We're going to actually be in Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. And this is the story of Hagar and Ishmael um, uh, dealing with them as they kind of are thrust out into the wilderness. Let me give you some quick background. We'll read the text. I'll pray, and then we'll jump, we'll jump in. Um, now, you may or may not, depending on your, your, your background with the Bible and church and things, you may or may not remember, Hagar was Sarah's servant. And um, there's a time where Sarah is, is barren, and she cannot uh, produce an heir, a son, for, uh, for Abraham. And so uh, they both kind of cook up this, this idea where, okay, maybe you should, Abraham, sleep with my servant, Hagar. And um, unfortunately, they both decide that's a great idea. Not a great idea, but they go for it anyways. And um, Hagar gets pregnant, gives birth to Ishmael. Uh, well, 13 years have passed now as we're kind of making our way to Genesis 21. 13 years have passed and amazingly, God makes good now on the promise that he had uh, made to Abraham uh, before that actually uh, a child would come not from uh, Hagar, but from Sarah. Even though Abraham is now 100 years old and, and, and Sarah's been barren through all of this, he says, no, 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 the child is going to come from Sarah. And God makes good on that promise. Abraham uh, is given a son. The son's name is Isaac, which in Hebrew means he laughs. So that's going to come into play in a, in a moment in our text. Um, and this is really where we pick up the story now. Verse 8 of chapter 21 of the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible. Let's read it. I'll pray and then we'll get moving. And the child, this is Isaac, grew and was weaned. Um, now you should know in, in Hebrew culture, this means Isaac was probably two or three years old. Okay, That's when they would be weaned. Uh, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. This is uh, talking about Ishmael now, whom she had born to Abraham. Uh, Ishmael was laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I'll make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God 
heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Would you pray with me? God, as we engage this text together for uh, the few moments that we have this morning, um, I pray that you would meet with us. I pray, Lord, that we would see how uh, Hagar and Ishmael's story overlaps our own in a sense, how we kind of meet with her there in the wilderness and we understand and experience those same sorts of fears, the feelings of, of being alone and forsaken and isolated, near death perhaps, wondering where you are and what you're doing. And God, I pray that through the course of this time, we would also see how just as you did with Hagar, so you with us, meet us in that place. You tell us not to be afraid. And you show us the way through the wilderness. And lead us to a place of peace in your presence. God, I ask that you uh, would do all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the title of this message is, Do Not Be Afraid, dot, 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 God Hears. Do not be afraid, God Hears. As I said, each week we're going to come at the idea of not being afraid from a different text and a different angle. And this week the focus is going to be on this idea that we don't need to be afraid because God hears. Hears. He hears our cries. He is attending to our needs. He knows right where we are. He, he, he like the psalmist would say, he, our, our tears are, are caught in his bottle. He knows. He hears us and he moves towards us in that place. Of course, it's verse 17 then of our text that brings us out in particular. And that's really going to be my focus for this message. But we're going to do some work on either side of that verse to really kind of set it off in all of its glory. Um, we're going to move through three headings in particular this morning. Um, the first being the wilderness, verses 8 through the first part of 16. The second, uh, this idea of the, the weeping, and that's the second part of verse 16 through verse 18. And then thirdly, the well, verses 19 through 21. So first, the wilderness, verses 8 through 16. Now obviously I'm not going to do much here. Uh, I'm just going to kind of try to fill out for a moment what this wilderness experience was like for her, uh, for Hagar and, and for Ishmael, and, 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 and kind of set up this idea that she's weeping and crying and God hears her in that place, and because of that she didn't have to be afraid. Um, so let me try uh, quickly to show us kind of how did they get there? How did they get to the wilderness and what was it like? Um, now you remember 
Isaac was probably around three years old in our text, which would put Ishmael at about 16 years old at this time. Uh, now at this point then, uh, because Isaac is being weaned and uh, Abraham and Sarah are, are ecstatic about this miracle child that God has given them, uh, they throw this big celebration. We read that there in verse 8, that Abraham made a great feast for his boy on that day, on the day that he was weaned. So everybody's coming out, everybody's celebrating, right? Everybody except for Ishmael. And you get it, right? So Ishmael's looking at all this stuff. He's looking at, at the party that's going on, the music, the whatever it is. And he's saying, wait a minute. Why all this for him? What about me? Where was my party? Where, by all accounts, I'm the firstborn. I, I don't understand. He's feeling, it would seem, a little bit outside, a little bit forgotten, a little bit jealous. And it seems to me that's why he goes on to mock Isaac there in verse 9 when we read this. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, and he's laughing. He's laughing. Now, we know from Sarah and how she responds to all this, it wasn't the nice kind of laughter like he's just having a great time along with everyone else. In fact, when Paul talks about um, this scene in Galatians 4.29, he says that Ishmael persecuted Isaac, that Ishmael is persecuting him. Now, if I had to guess, my guess is that Ishmael's probably in some way or another making fun of Isaac's name, because you remember his name uh, actually means in the Hebrew, he laughs. And here we have Isaac laughing in a derisive sort of way at uh, Isaac. Uh, those of you who uh, grew up, you know, through elementary school and middle school and uh, spent any time at all on the playground or in the lunchroom, you know what it's like to be made fun of for your name. Uh, my last name, uh, people used to call me, my, my, my name's Nick Weber, people used to call me uh, Weber uh, because, uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed, there's only one B in my last name. Uh, and so even sometimes well-intentioned folks uh, will call me uh, uh, Nick Weber. Uh, that's not so bad. That's not that devastating. Certainly some of you probably know uh, kids' names that lent themselves to, to much worse jokes and jabs. Uh, but I think something like that is probably going on here with uh, Isaac and, and, and Ishmael, and Sarah is not going to have it. Uh, so the long and short of it is, Sarah gets Abraham to send uh, mother and son away. So we read that Abraham gets a little bit of bread, a little bit of water, and sends Hagar and Ishmael out, verse 14, and they departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Then look at verses 15 through 16, the first part. It's tragic. When the water in the skin was gone, she, Hagar, put the child under one of the bushes, then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. So she, in other words, she said, we're out of water. We're out of food. I can't bear to watch my child die. I'm going to put him under this bush and let nature take its course. I'm going to go a bow shot away to where I can't even see him. He can't even see me. And we're just going to let this thing play out. I can't bear the thought of it, but it's over. I wonder if you've ever felt that way 
forsaken, forgotten, abandoned, afraid. Now's the time where you can pause and consider the questions under pause point number two, either in your journal or with uh, whoever you're watching with. Alright, so now we, we move into the second heading and the idea of the weeping. And we come to verses, uh, the latter part of verse 16, uh, down through verse 18. Look at verse 16. What we find is that Hagar, there in that place, gives herself over to wailing and weeping. And let's be honest, who wouldn't? But we read this, as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. My child's dying over there, I can't bear to look. She lifts up her voice and weeps. Now, I recently saw a blog post by Aaron Cerrone of CCEF. Um, it was entitled, When Nobody Else Listens, God Listens. And he opens the post, interestingly, with a... Um, discussion of Demi Lovato's uh, moving performance uh, from the, the tw 2020 Grammys. Uh, I actually didn't see it live myself, went back and watched it. Uh, very powerful. I, maybe you saw it as it was playing out. But um, she took the stage, I guess, for the first time in over 18 months. And as she performed her, her song uh, um, entitled Anyone, uh, tears were streaming down her face because it was a song that, that she wrote, I, I guess, uh, days, maybe even hours before uh, she had to be hospitalized for what appears to have been a drug overdose. So these words were in, in many ways a, a desperate cry for help, just raw and rich with emotion, uh, coming out of that place of, of fear and depression and, and anxiety. Um, really, the song itself um, now heard after the fact is clearly kind of the, the, this 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 cry for help not not too different from what we see Hagar even probably doing here in the wilderness. Well, let me read to you some of the lyrics from this song. I tried to talk to my piano. I tried to talk to my guitar. Talk to my imagination. Confided into alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more, told secrets till my voice was sore, tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories and a hundred million songs. I feel stupid when I sing. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway if nobody's listening? Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. That's the sort of stuff that comes out of your heart when you're dying in the wilderness. When you're stuck. That's what life is like in the desert. It's hot, it's hard, it's scary. And sometimes, if we're honest, it even feels like God isn't even there with us. Like God has abandoned us. Lord, are you there? Send someone. Lord, why am I even praying? 
<laughs> no one's listening. Not in the horizontal, not in the vertical. Even God is too busy for me. And I imagine if what, what maybe Hagar, Ishmael were feeling in those moments, he's too busy tending to Isaac's needs. <laughs> he's too busy working miracles for Isaac and Abraham and Sarah. He's not concerned with us. We are the outcasts. We are the forgotten. I'm sure some of us have felt that way more times than we'd like to count. But here's what we see as we keep reading. Though she may feel, though Ishmael may feel, though we may feel like God is distant, like God has abandoned us, like God is not here, like no one is listening. God is there. God is right there in the midst of that place and He is listening. Wherever your wilderness is, He's in the midst of it with you. Whatever you're weeping about, He is ready and able and wanting to attend to it. So we come now to verse 17. And this, like I said, is really uh, the, the centerpiece of this message and what I was focusing all my energy in on. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So there it is. Fear not. Do not be afraid. There's our command. There's our focus. That's the theme. But then you and I are left asking, on what basis, God? On what basis should I not fear? Why should I not be afraid? I look out with my eyes and everything seems hopeless. There's Ishmael's lifeless body over there under that bush. I got no water. I got no food. And you're telling me fear not. Explain to me the logic, because I am not getting it. It sure seems to me like there is a lot to fear in this situation. Tell me, why should I not be afraid? And then the answer comes, for God has heard. He hears you. He hears Ishmael. And he's on the move for good, even in all of this. And the crazy thing is, um, she should have known. She should have remembered that our God is a God who hears. That he doesn't forget. He doesn't forsake. That he is there in the midst of the wilderness. In fact, one of the things I thought was so interesting, um, Ishmael, the name of her son. I wonder if you know what it means in Hebrew. She named her son Ishmael, which means God hears. And she named him that because of another situation back in Genesis 16, where yet again she was fleeing from Sarah in the wilderness. And the Lord, we're told, verse 11 of chapter 16, listened to her affliction. She was running. She was afraid for her life. And God heard her there in that place where she says, you know what? I'm going to name my boy God Hears. 
And yet, gosh, when, and we know this, when a new temptation, when a new trial comes in, it, it, it feels fresh, even though we may have experienced God's faithfulness in the past, even though we may have seen, yes, God heard back then when I cried, He was there. There's still this lingering sense of, yeah, but will He be here for me now? I mean, that's great. Back in Genesis 16, Genesis 16, God was faithful. That's awesome. But we are in Genesis 21. And my boy's over there dying under a bush. And I'm here dying in the open air wondering, is it going to show up again? I'm feeling afraid, feeling scared, feeling like it's over. And then again, in comes the word, verse 17, fear not, for God has heard. That's the turning point in this narrative. That's what makes all the difference. Everything hinges on this reality that God hears. Hagar, God hears. Ishmael, God hears us. That's the turning point for us in all of our trials, is it not? We look out, we think, man, it is hopeless. It is over, but let me just tell you, you do not have to buy into Jim Baker's cure. You may look out and go, man, I don't know how long this COVID-19 thing is going to go. I don't know if it's going to affect me in some way, whether that's with my health or my finances or my job. But here's what I can, I don't got to go after these, these other solutions. I don't have to go to Costco and buy enough toilet paper to last me a year. The Weber household needs some, thank you very much. I don't have to chug down a bottle of pills because my life doesn't make sense to me and it feels like it's not worth living anymore. I don't have to do those things because God hears. And with that, uh, we are going to move towards the third point in this. Um, we'll start to see what this God who hears does. But before we get there, I want to invite you to pause and consider the questions under pause point number three in your worship guide. All right, welcome back. Now we're ready to move into the third and final heading. Um, we've looked at the idea of the wilderness. We've seen the weeping, and now we come to the well, and we look at verses 19 through 21 in particular. Uh, turn, to, turn your eyes to verse 19 now and read this. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Now, as I read this and as I reflected on it, one thing jumped out at me and seemed so profound, and I wanted to share it with you here. And I wonder if you noticed. When God hears, when God is now on the move in Hagar and Ishmael's life, he doesn't exactly change the at least external circumstances, right? He doesn't remove her and him, in other words, from the wilderness. He doesn't change the situation in that way, but instead he meets them in the middle of it. He opens up her eyes to see a well of water that is there in the midst of 
the wilderness. And that is so often what we see God do. He doesn't take us always outside of the trial. He doesn't take us outside or away from the wilderness, but rather he meets us in the middle of it and he, and he opens up something of himself to us there. He provides for us in that even uncomfortable place. And we find that even though it's scary all around, we can have peace. And this has been the testimony of the saints down through the ages, that God meets us in the midst, doesn't always remove us from it. And you probably have stories of your own, of how God brought surprising peace and joy, even in the midst of hardship, He met you there. I thought of uh, one of the more classic examples from Scripture on this point, uh, coming from Psalm 23, verse 5, where David is talking about God as his shepherd. And then he says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I want you to kind of let that settle in for a moment and think about it, because it's kind of so contrary to the logic that you and I often use. We think, okay, God, when you get rid of my enemies, when you put a stop to the threat, when I'm, I, you know, all that stuff is done, then I'm ready to prepare the table. Then I'm ready for the banquet. Then I'm ready to round up the boys and throw a party or whatever it may be. Let's celebrate. But that's not what David says here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So for us, it's right here in the, in the midst of the, the, the chaos of, uh, of, of the coronavirus and things. God wants to meet us here. Not, hey, once all this stuff is done, then life can go back to normal. Then I can start smiling again. Then I can feel at peace and all this. No. It's right now in the midst of it. God can, God will meet us in this place. He hears and He's moving towards us. The feast is right here in the presence of my enemies. The well is right here in the midst of the wilderness. Because God is here, He is listening and He cares. This is the last thing that I wanted to kind of bring your way before we close. If you notice in our text, it's actually uh, in verse 17 there. It's the angel of God who is speaking from heaven to Hagar. It's this angel of God, or in other places he's referred to as the angel of the Lord. Now, perhaps you're familiar um, with this idea, but there are many scholars who think this angel of God or the angel of the Lord is actually himself the, the pre-incarnate Jesus, if you will. And there are a number of reasons why they think this. I'll just give you a, a couple of them. Um, one of the more prominent reasons we may think this is because as you follow in the Old Testament narratives and you see this angel of the Lord show up, it's with incredible, stunning, notable ease that the, 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 um, the author or, or within the story, we see that what this angel of God, uh, we're told, says or does, uh, immediately it's, it's ascribed to God himself. God himself said this. God himself does this. And this has led people to think, my goodness, there's something more to this angel. Uh, there, there's perhaps 
something to this that's hinting us towards even the Trinity, even towards Jesus himself. Um, one other thing to think about that's kind of interesting is the angel of the Lord plays such a, a, a massive role, a significant role in the Old Testament. And yet, when we turn the pages to the New Testament, we don't see him. He, he makes no appearance at all. And the question that the scholars and, and myself would ask is, or does he? In other words, are we looking at now uh, Jesus come in the flesh there in the Gospels? Whatever the case may be, uh, certainly we can say this, that the wonder of all we see in this story with Hagar and Ishmael does come to its climactic expression in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Whatever that angel is as he's calling down and caring for them and talking on God's behalf, certainly we see that brought to its climax in the person and work of Jesus. We are wandering, lost and scared in the wilderness. I mean, the scriptures talk about uh, Christians as being in exile, that we are sojourners, we are pilgrims, that we're not yet home. We are in the wilderness. That's why we feel the heat like we do. That's why we get scared like we do need to be reminded. Do not be afraid. We struggle and wrestle with feeling guilty and ashamed. We deal with being broken and bruised. We live in this fallen and cursed world all around about us. We feel it. And God doesn't just speak from somewhere up above us anymore. In Jesus, does He? That would be awesome. It's amazing when the angel of the Lord speaks from heaven to Hagar and Ishmael here. It's wonderful to know that he hears and he cares and he speaks, but he does more than that for us in the person and work of Jesus in his incarnation. He doesn't just speak from heaven down to earth. He comes down. He enters the wilderness. He walks into it with us and meets us there in that place. And what we come to understand is that he doesn't just open our eyes to some well in the midst of the wilderness. Jesus himself becomes our well and bids us come and drink. And I bet you know the text I'm thinking of at this point because what we're seeing here in Genesis 21 isn't all that different from what we watched Jesus himself do with the woman at the well in John 4. You remember her. She is lost in her own wilderness. She is spiritually dying of thirst, looking for something that could satisfy. One boy to the next, to the next, to the next, never really getting it. And Jesus meets her there in that space. She's just probably weeping, crying, you imagine, inside at least. And he says, you need water. I know where you can find it. This is John 4. Verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, I will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As he says later in John 7, all who are thirsty come to me and drink. So Jesus himself becomes our well. And of course, we could take it a step further because we know he not only does he not just speak to us from heaven like this angel of the Lord to Hagar. And we know not only does he meet us in the wilderness now personally, like he does with this woman at the well. 
He doesn't just enter the wilderness. What we realize as we follow through the gospel narratives is that he's going to die there in the wilderness. And this was one of the most powerful points for me to consider. Think about it. Ishmael, Hagar's son, is there under a bush dying in the desert while Hagar herself is kind of languishing in the open air. And what does God say? What does God do about it? Well, he looks down and he says, no, we cannot have that. He hears, he hears Hagar and Ishmael as they weep. And he says, I hear and I am going to move in mercy in these moments. Go get your boy. Here's some water. Drink up. But when God's own son is hanging lifeless on that cross. And he cries out in the midst of that wilderness saying, I thirst, John 19, 28, give me some water. How does God respond to his own son, perfectly righteous, unstained, unblemished, apple of his eye? Well, it's a lot different from Ishmael, isn't it? Instead of water, he gives him a sponge that's been soaked in sour wine and a cup full of his own wrath to drink down. For us, Jesus takes it, drinks it, and he dies there in that wilderness so that now you and I, in the midst of our trials, right here in the desert, right here as stuff is going on around us in our city and our nation and our world. Jesus can meet us in this place, pour out His Holy Spirit, living water now accessible to you and I. He hears, He cares, He's present, and He's offering it to us even in this Space. Now, I'm going to leave you with this um, closing thought slash exhortation. Um, I think that this whole idea that God hears is a really important word for us at this time because I'm aware a lot of us actually have perhaps a little bit more time on our hands uh, for better or for worse. You know, a lot of your events a lot of your meetings, a lot of your, you know, even your work and stuff related to it being canceled. And so you may find yourself with more time on your hands. And beyond all of that, we're being encouraged to engage in social distancing from other people, right? And so my idea, my plea with you is this. While you may have to, socially distance yourself from other people. It could actually be an amazing time right now to draw near to God, to cry out to the one who hears, to give yourself over to prayer. Don't just binge watch Netflix with your extra time. Don't just get on and kind of, you know, waste these moments. Use them to, 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 to seek God, to draw near to Him. Let Him know the things you're afraid of. Let them, know the, let them know the way this is affecting you and the stuff that's burdening you. Pour that out and experience like Hagar did there in her wilderness. Experience in your own wilderness the way that God hears, 
the way that he moves, the way that he opens up the well of his presence by his spirit, even there, even now. Uh, so with that, um, I invite you to pause and consider the questions under pause point number four. But before you do that, uh, let me pray to close. God, I ask right now that though we are in separate places, um, though we are perhaps socially distant from one another, we would be drawing near to you and you'd be drawing near to us. And the things that are burdening us, the, 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 oh, the personal wilderness that we're experiencing, the things that we're weeping over, God, I pray that you would remind us afresh that you hear and you'd show us where you're on the move in the midst of it. God, we thank you. We thank you that, that you withheld you withheld your blessing from your son, that you let him experience the full weight of the curse in our place so that we could get the blessing here in these moments by grace. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.